0: Well, good afternoon and welcome uh, to Cornerstone Church. Uh, we are glad that you are here today, and I especially uh, want to welcome uh, Cindy and Jamie and Cass, and so good to see all of you here. Just a couple of logistics. Uh, the restrooms are, are over here. You can go out that door or into the foyer in just this way if you need the restrooms there. Following this service, we will have uh, those who would like to stay and gather and continue to uh, celebrate. The family would love for you to remain. There's also, if those of you that came in later, there are cards on the table in the foyer that they would love for you to sign. So even if you need to leave quickly on your way out, that would be a huge blessing to the family to just sign one of those uh, cards on your way out. And something I've never had at one of these gatherings before is we're going to have Old Town Pizza here uh, at the end. So that might keep more of you around uh, than normal after this service. So I'm looking forward uh, to that. So putting logistics aside, uh, one more logistics. Uh, This is going to be recorded. uh, There should be an audio recording on our website, on Cornerstone's website which is listed on the back of this here, that will likely be up on our website on Wednesday. Maybe they're earlier, but it'll probably be on Wednesday. So I think those are all of the logistics. Um, We are here today to celebrate and remember the life of Bill Wharton. Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. And we're going to do both of those things today. Some of you have already been doing both of those things today. Both of those things are good, rejoicing, and weeping. We're here for one another. That's one of the reasons that we do this in person and together. So it is so good to see so many of you here in person. And we are here in many ways to show our love and support to you three. Finally, we're here to glorify the Lord Jesus, the Lord and Savior of Bill Wharton. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Bill believed in the reality of the new heavens and the new earth. It's described in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We look forward to that new heavens and new earth and to being with Bill uh, together. At this time, I want to pray and just ask God's blessing on our time together, and then Ron Wood is going to come up and read Scripture. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for bringing um, each and every one of us here who are connected to Bill in a whole variety of ways. But Lord, one way that we are all connected to him is that, that we love him and we miss him. And we ask that you would be with us in a special way in this next hour or so as we gather and even as we linger long after that, talking with one another We pray that there would not only be sweet memories shared, but that you would work in our hearts and minds, that we would think about what each of our lives is really all about. It's gatherings like this where we sometimes gain perspective and look to you in a new and fresh way. We pray that would be the case today, and we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Hello, uh, Bill and I have been good friends for around 30 years, and I'd like to read to you a Bible passage uh, that is very significant to Bill. It's Acts 5:33 to 39. little background on this, this occurred after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. The passage is after the high priest and the high council told Peter and the apostles not to teach about Jesus, but they continued to do so. So they arrested Peter and the apostles again and told them to stop. Peter told them they had to obey God and not any human authority. So we'll pick it up in verse 33. At this, the council was furious and decided to kill them. But one of their members, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, an expert on religious law and very popular with the people, stood up and requested that the apostles be sent outside the council chamber while he talked. Then he addressed his colleagues as follows: Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was the fellow, the Judas, who pretended to be somewhat great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and his followers were harmlessly dispersed. After him, at the time of the taxation, there was Judas of Galilee. He drew away some as disciples, but he also died and his followers scattered. And so my advice is, leave these men alone. If what they teach is, and do is merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them, lest you find yourselves fighting even against God. Bill, being a logical thinker, had been considering the message of Jesus Christ for a while, but it was a teaching on this passage that convinced him. As I understand the story, Bill reasoned that since the teachings of Jesus were still followed by so many for so long, they must be true. That day he decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ, making him Lord of his life.
2: Uh, we're going to do this song at the family's request. Uh, for those of you who know it, we are not going to sing the high part at the end. So yeah, that should be some encouragement.
3: Bye.
4: Bill's oldest daughter. We're gonna make it through this. Oh wait, I had one job. Yeah. All right, dad was born August 30th, 1946 in San Diego. And I know what you're all thinking, San Diego, it's nice and it's sunny. He was only born there because my grandmother said to my grandfather, I am not having this baby in the middle of nowhere where we live. (laughs) This is Forks of Salmon. If you've never heard of Forks of Salmon, don't worry. Nobody else has either. It is quite literally in the middle of nowhere. We went there a couple of years ago to spread my grandparents' ashes and what you are seeing is where my grandparents house had been their house burnt down in 1950 when my dad was four and that's when they moved to citrus heights but this is where they were living there is no electricity they everything is done by generator there there's no running water everything is woodsy (laughs) and my grandmother refused to have her baby in the woods (laughs) my grandmother was a very strong woman keep this in mind this is a theme as we go through They moved to Citrus Heights, and my dad met a lot of good friends there. My grandpa was a Cub Scout master. Everybody knew my grandpa. Um, My dad did Boy Scouts all the way through. He went to school in uh, Citrus Heights, and then he went to San Juan High School. Again, a theme. Um, He loved San Juan. He thought it was such a great place to be. He was on their football team. He was on their swim team. You can see some of his memorabilia in the lobby. Um, He graduated high school in 1964. Hold on, I think I have another. Oh, there he is. He is an AQ. He, I knew this was a good one. (laughs) Um, He continued to swim when he went to college. He swam and played water polo at American River here in Sacramento, and then he went to Chico State and was also a swimmer and a water polo player there. Um, This was a, from our perspective, a big mistake. This was, not a, this was not a good look, nobody should have done this. But all of his swim team did this and his was extra long because, I don't know, dad's a rebel. And his swim coach made him cut it off and he was not placed. Oh, that's my dad and his parents are, thank you. Um, dad, after Sac State, decided that maybe um, higher education was not for him and decided skiing was for him and he moved to Tahoe and had what we call his ski bum time and dad every time we went to Tahoe dad would drive us all over the place and he's like oh I live there with like 18 people and oh I live there with like eight guys and I thought oh that's the difference between girls and boys not living with 18 girls not doing it it's not going to happen for me Um, He went to Sac State and got his master's degree in physical education. Now it would be called kinesiology, but he was very proud of his degree and very proud of the fact that after ski bum time, he did go back to school. Um, He also had, in this period of time, what he called his practice marriage. And (laughs) dad... Dad liked to remind everybody that his practice marriage ended in an annulment, so he felt very happy that he could say he had never been divorced. So it irritated everybody to no end. In 1978, he started teaching at Andrew Carnegie High School, and that is where he met my mom. Oh, okay, I'll keep it together. Nobody loved my mom like my dad. My dad loved nobody on this earth as much as he loved my mom. Um, but it didn't really start out that way. In fact, my mom did not think he was very great at all. <laughs> my dad came. My dad came into a staff meeting, and the only person that he knew at the school was this woman who perhaps would not be described as my mother's bestie, but that was the only person that he knew, so he sat with her. So my mom decided, well, if he's gonna sit with her, I don't wanna be friends. (laughs) And for those of you that have spent any time with my dad, he's a bit of a pain. And so in order to introduce himself to my mom, because he thought she was kind of neat, he started needling her about the coffee that she drank and the book that she had and whatever she was doing. And he thought, oh, we're going to be friends. And she thought, get away from me, buddy. (laughs) Clearly, since we're here, they all changed their minds. Um, But in 1971, Dad was given the opportunity to change schools and to go teach at San Juan High School, and he thought that was just the greatest thing ever because he loved being a San Juan Spartan when he was in high school, and so the opportunity to go back there and to repeat some of those experiences and to give students in his school wonderful moments like he had had was something that he felt was really important. Oh, gross. All right. (laughs) All right. Uh, My parents got married in 1984, and they were like this their whole life. They were so gross. And we had a friend, because we were talking with this friend of ours. We were at dinner with their family, and we were like, you are so lucky that your parents are not gross like this. And she went, I envy your life. Like, I would love to have parents that were outwardly demonstrative about how they felt about each other. And I thought, oh, girl, no, you don't. Like this is, this is not a cute look when you're in high school and your parents are like worse teenagers than you are. <laughs> um, but my dad, when he married my mom, he didn't just marry my mom. He married her family as well. Oh dear, sorry. Um, my dad was an only child and my dad's family is very small. He had one cousin that he didn't particularly like. And so his family, by the time that he had married my mom, the only people alive left in his family were my grandparents. So he didn't have cousins, he didn't have aunts, and for those of you that don't know, my mother's family were a large, unruly group. And, <laughs> and nothing made my dad happier than being, than being a son-in-law and a brother and an uncle and somebody's cousin, and he just embraced the fact that our huge, nutty family just took him in. and. He loved every moment of being in a huge family, from buying illicit popcorn in Disneyland, which he didn't know you weren't allowed to do, to having my three cousins spend Christmas at our house and my cousins, Dustin, Brian, and Steven went on like an opening rampage and they opened every present and my parents for days were finding candy wrappers. The candy bars were not eaten. They were just sitting there. They just wanted to open something. So there were open candy bars all over the house. My dad loved that story and he thought it was so special that he was given the opportunity to be a part of those moments, something that he had never had as a kid and he just thought it was the greatest thing. So I hope that my family understands just how important you were to my dad. Oh, sorry. I'm handling it. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, look, there they are. Aren't they cute? This is building a boathouse at my grandparents' house, and everybody, like, swarmed my poor grandparents' house and, like, set up shop for days. And I'm sure they were like, oh, no, can't these people get out of here? But we built a boathouse, and look at how cute all my cousins are. Oh, then there's us. Um, To add to their family, they thought kids were kind of nice, so maybe they'd have a couple. So they had me, and then they had Cassie, and... They found out what real love is when they had Cassie because I wasn't all that much fun. Um, <laughs> but dad had been raised by a strong woman and he had married a strong woman, and there were. My family is filled with incredibly strong women. And dad, that was all that dad wanted. Dad wanted us to be strong women. And he was the ultimate feminist dad. Like, there were no. There were no lines in our house that couldn't be crossed because we were girls, and he didn't care about any of that, and he wanted us to be strong, and he wanted us to take charge of our life, and that was something that was so important to him. And when we were kids, we weren't allowed to go to our room and not talk about it. We had to sit there and talk about it. I will tell you that as I got older and more vocal, he started to regret this choice. (laughs) But... Dad dad loved, dad loved the fight and he loved the conversation and he wanted us to be smart and to learn things and to have a desire for knowledge. And I think that comes from dad being a consummate teacher. He thought that was so important, that education was a right that everybody had and that everybody should be as educated as they wanted to be. And he continued that during his 30 years of teaching. The first time that we should have lost dad was in October of 2001. Um, A lot of you were with us during that time. Um, He had a massive cardiac episode while we were at a gymnastics meet in Reno. And we, I mean, we thought the end had come and they told us, like, this is it. This is the end. He's not coming back from this. And then he started to come back and they were like, well, never mind. He's going to have brain damage and he's not going to be normal. And we thought, (laughs) he's never been normal. And then all of a sudden, he was back to being who he was. I mean, he didn't remember any of it, but he was back to being who he was, and we were blessed with more time with him. Um, he retired from San Juan, we're pretty sure, in like 2008. We don't know. We can't remember. We keep trying to find it, we can't figure it out. Um, and after he retired, um, I think that he didn't know what he was going to do because he had been a teacher and an educator for so long. and. What else do you do with these pieces of your life now that you have all this time? And after a few months of going quite literally everywhere with my mother, he was like, okay, I got to find things. And um, he got involved in Leadership Auburn in 2007. He graduated in the 2007 class of Leadership Auburn and started meddling, because that's what my dad likes to do. He meddles. And he wanted to get involved in everything, and he loved Auburn, and he thought Auburn was such a great community and such a great place. I realize I'm way behind on pictures, folks. We're me down. Oh, there's him coaching water polo. (laughs) Okay, we're to the hiking part. Um, He loved hiking. I mean, my dad loved, when my dad loved stuff, he loved stuff. And my dad loved hiking. He loved to go anywhere. You'll see it in the lobby. We have a collection of rocks. Dad picked up a rock from every hike he went on. And he could tell you, he could pick up the rock and tell you exactly where he went. Now, the problem with this is that none of us particularly wanted to hear any of these stories because we thought they were boring and so we now have a collection of rocks that we don't know where they're from. (laughs) And to be fair, we don't really know what to do with them either. Um, dad was a member of the Economic De- Development Committee here in Auburn from 2014 to 2021. Um, a lot of our friends called him Mr. Auburn because he always seemed to know what was going on, mostly because he meddled, but because he liked to be involved, he liked to know what was happening, he liked to be a part of what was going on in our community. Um, and in 2009, another way that he decided to become a more active part of our community was he started selling mandarins for our really good friends Dwayne and Lynn. and. I know a lot of you have bought your mandarins from dad at the shed and people loved to come and see dad and they loved to talk to him because nobody could talk like my father. Um, And he would tell them stories and he would listen to what they had to say and he made them feel important and like they mattered and they did to him, everybody mattered to him. And um, while I was working the Mandarin shed this year because dad um, was in the hospital and couldn't do it, every day people were like, Where's the guy that normally works here? When is he coming back? And I was like, listen, I don't know, and I'm sorry that I'm all that's left. And they were like, well, can you tell them that I said hi and that, and that I have something for him. People kept bringing me things, and I thought, I'm here every day. No one has brought me a present. Everybody's got presents for Dad. Nobody's got presents for me. But that was the, that's what Dad inspired in people. Dad inspired love. I mean, if you look around the room, so many people loved my dad, and my dad loved people so much. Um, In the last few years, Dad had become a part of the San Juan Alumni Association, so he was very proud to be at three levels of San Juan, where he was a student, he was a teacher, and then he was helping alumni. Um, There's a note in the program, bulletin, I don't know what to call that thing, um, that you all got handed when you came in, and if you feel led, we have started a scholarship fund for, in my dad's name, to help a student at San Juan, which is a place that obviously mattered to him, and so if you feel led to donate to that, we'd love for you to be a part of that with us. The information is in your bulletin. Um, Oh, wait, he was being mandarins right there. Look, somebody's taking care of me because I lost my job. Um, Oh, this is us. We're not mature, but we're happy. Um, (laughs) my, (laughs) my, My dad, he loved Disney and he loved fun and he loved the fact that it was someplace where you could be a family and that was fine. And and you could be together, and that could be something that was so celebratory and so happy. I mean, look at I got sparkles, and we're, we're good to go. Um, but that was something that really mattered to my dad, was a place where it was just about being together and being able to be a family. So the last few months have been really hard. And so many of you have come alongside us and been there and prayed for us and prayed for my dad and visited my dad. And we haven't done a great job of reaching out, but it was so meaningful to him that so many people were willing to come alongside and be there for him and to let him know how important he had been to them. And I hope that you all just know that my dad thought that you mattered and that you were important because you chose to be a part of his life and he was happy to be in your life as much as you were happy to be a part of his. So thank you so much.
0: One more logistical piece. We've got about Eight or ten chairs open here. So those of you that are standing in the back, come on right now. There's a row of chairs here. There's some chairs here if anybody would like to be seated. We have about four or five uh, people who are going to now share remembrances. One of them is not here, Bob Middleton. That is Bill's college friend and roommate. So he's written a letter here. I'm going to read it, and then each of you that are designated to share can follow After um, each of the ones that are coming afterwards. So, this is from Bob Middleton, um, Bill's college roommate. Dear Cindy, Jamie, and Cassie, I was so sad to see Bill go through all of the challenges he faced. In a way, I'm glad his suffering is over, but I sure miss the guy and always will. He was a positive model for me and others to follow. I met Bill for the first time when we were roommates at the Top of the Mark in Chico. The Top of the Mark was the name we gave our place above a small corner market. At the time, the swankiest restaurant in San Francisco was in the Mark Hopkins Hotel. The name of the penthouse restaurant was the Top of the Mark. So that was fitting for how we named our place. We lived above the market and attended Chico State. I had lived there before going into the service. When I got back, I moved back in. Those were special days. We didn't have a lot, but we had such great times together. There were six and sometimes seven people living there at the same time. The best part was the rental agreement. The market owner liked the fact that we lived over the store as we provided security. It it worked well for us starving students. Our rent, get this, our rent was $75 per month with free utilities. So if you divide $75 by seven, you get $10.15 per month per person. Not bad. Try it now. (laughs) The only other thing was the phone service. This was back in the dark ages when the only phones were rotary dial. Princess phones were just coming out. Cell phones were science fiction. Any calls beyond a block or two ended up being toll calls, which got expensive. Being that nobody wanted to put the phone in his name, we had a payphone installed. (laughs) These were guys, huh? Most calls cost a dime. Those were the days. Bill was a standout in water polo. It was hard enough to imagine even playing water polo. Bill's team had their heads shaved with a short Mongolian ponytails. We saw that photo. They looked very intimidating and were. I remember Bill was named as an All-American in the sport. He had strength and stamina. One night we sat him down and challenged him on how long he could hold his breath. He bragged a bit about that. We stuck a mirror under his nose to make sure he was on the up and up. I think he held his breath for just over three minutes. Wow, he's an amazing man. And Bill could yell louder than anyone I've ever known. Just for fun, he would get out on our little balcony at the top of the mark and let loose with the loudest yell anyone could imagine. People would stop in their tracks blocks away, wondering what was going on. We were only a block from the campus, so there were always many people milling around. I even saw him stop traffic a block away. That was our bill. We never got in trouble, but we came close a few times. One of those times was when a friend came over with a giant slingshot. It was a tin can connected to long surgical hose. We had to have a person holding each end of the hose while the shooter drew the can back with the water balloon inside. The top of the mark had a flat roof, so it was a perfect way to launch water balloons without being seen. We could launch balloons a block and a half away. You may want to take cover as you're leaving here today, knowing this family. That's not in his letter. Back to the letter. It didn't make the six o'clock news, but we stirred things up and got a few people wet. Even so, we thought we were responsible young adults. Hmm. All of these things happened over 50 years ago. Back then, we thought that anyone over 50 was on his way out. We couldn't uh, ever imagine being that age. Those were special times. Other special times were when you came to Gurnville for a visit and, and at breakfast and the breakfasts that we had together in Auburn. I have so many fond memories of our friendship. Those will last forever. I feel so thankful for having the privilege and honor of knowing Bill. I mourn with you over his loss. I hope to see him again someday. With love, Bob Middleton. Hello, y'all. Good
5: seeing a lot of you people that I haven't seen for a long time. and. Bill would want this, a a big celebration of a reunion more than a celebration of life. But we are going to celebrate Bill's life. And uh, it is a celebration because now he is with our Heavenly Father. And uh, we've had a lot of good times together. And um, he was my guy for the last 13 years, uh, selling the mandarins for me. And he was the Mandarin man. I would give him the mandarins and he would be the man selling them. And uh, everybody loved him. So many people asked about him, like Jamie said this year. It's just anybody that's how's Bill? How's Bill? How's Bill? Like, you got it at the festival, at the Mandarin Shed, anywhere I went delivering. Everybody knew Bill. And um, he's going to be hard to replace, but Jamie did do a pretty good job this year. (laughs) Um, I just remember a lot of things with Bill that we did. Seeing all, a lot of our church family and all the, the um, family camps that we went on together. Just awesome times as all our tight group families together. And um, playing poker with Bill and just hanging out, doing stuff. And just, it's going to be a hard, it's hard knowing he's gone. We're not going to see him again. But the, the good news is I am going to see him again. I do have another story to to tell when um, my wife and I and Bill and Cindy got to go to Disneyland together. And um, we go in the first day, and you know the bus ride that you can hop on right at the very first and go down the main street and everything. And so we get in line, and and they cut us off, and it's like, there's more room in the bus. No, we're going to stop you right here, and so we have to wait for the next one. So the... The next bus comes around, and they go, uh, we're not going to let you on yet, and we're going. We're standing there, and all of a sudden, Mickey and Minnie come out, and they load onto the bus, and then they let us on. We're the next four in line. For, we're going up on top, and now Bill and I have become the photographers, and it's like, Here's Cindy and my wife are just like draping over Mickey and Minnie. And Bill and I are looking at each other laughing. It's like, this is a dream come true for our wives. And we're just sitting there snapping away. (laughs) Weird. Bill and I got the biggest kick out of that. So anyway, um, God bless all you guys. And uh, I'm glad you're here to share this with us. And uh, Bill's, I had told this um, to Bill one time. That uh, I'd seen this bumper sticker, and um, it said, No Jesus, no peace. And no Jesus, no peace. So you've got to spell those no's the right way. Because if you don't have Jesus, you don't know peace. But if you have Jesus, you know peace. So every year at the end of Mandarin season, another thing to have to tell Bill is I'd call him and I'd go, Bill, you're fired. <laughs> he goes, man, the season's over. And I go, yes, you're fired. And I'm done it's a long trip. So Bill, you're fired. <laughs>
6: Hi, I'm Dave Flutie and this is my wife, Leslie, and she has something she'd like to say for
7: (laughs) 48 years! (laughs) Um, I just wanted to share that when we first came to EV Free, back then, as brand new Christians, um, one of the very first couples we met was Bill and Cindy Wharton. And we started out the greatest friendship together. Um, Bible study at their house. Three of us sang in the choir together, not ham, but <laughs> in our beautiful robes. Remember our robes? Our maroon colored robes that we would sing, and then we did praise team. And But the funny thing is, is that between Dave and Bill, we all decided we needed to have a little more social in this church, a little more social re- um, interaction with each other. So we started the camp, family camping trips. We did um, the chili cook-off, a couple years of that. Cindy, you and I did the Sister Act, and Jenny, we had our Sister Act outfit on. And um, when That was the year I think it was Guys Against Girls. Um, but my most memorable one was when we decided to do a couple's retreat. And everybody signed up, and I think we had about 45 couples. and. Um, Bill and Cindy and Dave and I were doing all the organizing. They all got these wonderful romantic rooms because it was a couple's retreat, but we shared with Bill and Cindy. (laughs) We got our own unit together so that we would have access to a kitchen and whatever. So it was not a romance in our weekend, but... (laughs) The funny, the just I'll never forget. And there, I, there was a picture of Bill and Dave in their MC Hammer pajama pants. We woke up on the, I don't think it was probably Saturday morning or Sunday morning, and we brought food to everybody's door and had a little like juice and cocoa and coffee and a you know, soft donut or whatever. And we would knock on the door and run. And I will just never forget how much fun that was. They, they went on one wing, and you and I went on another wing. Anyway, it was just such a pleasure, and our friendship was just—it was just a great thing for all of us. And I'm so grateful. And got to see the girls as young women, young young girls, and it's so great to see you guys as young women. You guys have done such a beautiful job today. I thank you.
6: What was in 1985? 1985, we started, 85 or 86, we started coming here to EV3, and. The people were just amazing at that time, small congregation. I wasn't a Christian yet, Ron Payne was the pastor, and uh, he, I got to be his project at the time. <laughs> he would take me to lunch and, uh, and wouldn't let me pay, And because uh, everybody knows the pastors don't make any money, but uh, we, uh, he helped. And, I became a Christian, and we were still going here, and we started the Bible study at Bill and Cindy's. And the, it was so easy because Bill, Ron Wood, other people, we they communicated with me. They accepted me and stuff because, hey, I'm the old cowboy, and, you know, I'm grumpy. So, but when we were here, we did do the, the uh, chili cook-off. And Bill and I got going on that, on how to do it. And the first time we're getting ready to do it, Bill and I are walking up the center aisle. I've got a big 20-inch frying pan that I'm dragging along behind me, and it's banging along. And we found a little stuffed skunk-looking thing, and we tied that to it. And everybody's taking a second look because they didn't know if it was real or not. But <laughs> we, we started that, and it was a great time and in, in mingling with other people and doing that. Bill and I also did Bill and Dave's Great Adventure, for a few people to remember that. It was usually around the first part of December, and after church, all the guys would get together in a few cars and trucks, and we'd head down to Sacramento to go to Fuddruckers for a good hamburger down there, and then we'd go over to the Sunrise Mall, which was the thing at that time, and out we would go, and the whole thing was to guys only, get away, and go do the Christmas shopping for your wife, where she doesn't know where it is. And she doesn't have to wrap it. So, but, and just those kind of kind of things that Bill and I did. And, and I did disappoint Bill the one time uh, when he was hiking, when you guys were hiking, and and did the, what was it, the Western States, and they did it in sections and stuff. And Bill comes to me and he says, Dave, he says, you gotta go on this. He says, this is great. I said, Bill, look at me. I said, I said, I was in the U.S. Army Infantry and I'm a cowboy. And if I can't get there on a horse, I ain't going. You know, I've done all the walking I need to do in my life and stuff. So, but it, uh, Two of the greatest people I've ever known in my life, Bill and Cindy, and we're going to miss Bill. Thank you. Thank
4: you. One uh, of Dad's really good friends, Phil, couldn't be with us here today, so I'm going to read you what he sent to us. this is a celebration of Bill Wharton's life and he had a lot to celebrate a wonderful wife two daughters who loved him many good friends and a successful career gathered here friends he met throughout his life many going back to grade school and Boy Scouts I met Bill at San Juan High School and we became best friends at AR you are lucky in life to have one or two good friends Bill was one of mine and I think I was one of his in the 60s and 70s, Bill often dropped by my parents' house to visit and me to his. He often reminded me that my mother told him she hoped we remain friends our whole lives and we were glad it turned out that way. Over the years, we did a lot together, but especially enjoyed a trip in 1966 we took with his parents to L.A. to visit his uncle. While there, Bill borrowed the family Oldsmobile and we had a great time exploring L.A. As a teacher, Bill provided a valuable and honorable service to us all. Bill was fond of telling the story of when he was a teacher at San Juan of a student who couldn't get into her locker. And to her surprise, Bill casually walked up and opened it for her. It happened to be Bill's locker back back in the day and he remembered the combination, which had not changed. Something to think about for those of you with lockers. In the late 80s, we, along with our wives, and Dan and Coralie Di Benedetto, enjoyed annual August trips to Monterey for car week. Races on Saturday, dinner that night at our favorite restaurant, and then to the concourse on Sunday. The six of us enjoyed the weekend reunion visit to Daniel and Coralie's Chico home in July, just three days before his recent health issues began. John Peacock and I were able to visit Bill at home in late January. His spirits were high and we were able to share pictures of the old times and reminisce which he really enjoyed. It seemed to us like just yesterday and also long ago. We are sure happy we were able to see with him one more time. If Bill was here today, I believe he would say, don't be sad about my passing, be happy that we had together.
1: I'm not an ad-libber, so I typed it out here. <laughs> so I told you that we've been friends for 30 years, and over that time, we and our families have done a lot of adventures. Uh, we've gone just all over the place. And some of you are part of those adventures, too. get to see so many. I have great memories of building campfires, eating like kings at campgrounds around California, going to Disneyland, Disney World, taking hikes, great meals at uh, holiday time. Bill is the one that introduced me to day hikes in the Sierras. It started with hiking the Western States trails. That was it. One section at a time on Saturdays with Bill, Gary Rice, Lloyd Upton, and Jay Montgomery. This took several months to complete, but was the start of many hikes, including Half Dome and Cloud's Rest. Some of you were along on some of these. Jerry, were you? I know you went with this. Bill had some hikerisms he shared with us. We know that with Bill being a shutterbug, we often would hear, photo op. We stopped, he took his pictures, and then we were off again. One of the challenges of hiking in the Sierras is a steep trails, both up and down. We always appreciated when the trail flattened out for a while to catch our breath. Bill called that contouring. <laughs> Many times after our hikes, we stopped for pizza. I'm not sure that Bill started this. I think it was Jay. But later in hikes, when we were getting tired and we needed a bit of motivation, our mantra was, pizza and beer, pizza and beer. (laughs) Not sure how it helped, but we laughed. (laughs) I have great memories of our hikes, camping, and fun trips, and I'm very thankful for these. Thank you, Bill, for introducing me to long hikes in the mountains and foothills. See you later.
0: Titus uh, 3, verse 14 says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Bill Wharton was a man who was devoted to doing what was good. We've seen the fun that he had. We've seen and heard about much of the good that he has done. To summarize his uh, devotedness, um, he was devoted to Christ. And we could talk about that devotion in a whole variety of ways, but we'll save most of that for conversations that are going to happen in just a few moments when this gathering is over. But let me mention um, one thing. a Bill was one evidence of his devotion to Christ. Uh, this congregation that meets here in this building used to be first the Evangelical Free Church of Auburn, now called Cornerstone Community Church. A Bill and Cindy have been a part of this fellowship since 1986 or 1987. The church has had ups and downs. It has had different pastors, including Ron Payne, who was mentioned, including myself, the last 10 years. And Bill and and Cindy, um, like anyone, throughout the years, have had different levels of, of affection and enjoyment for their church. Churches go through difficult times. They go through great times. They go through different seasons. But Bill's faithfulness to this church family is seen in how he was a man devoted to doing what is good and was able to stay through difficult seasons. And we are so thankful that you too have done that. The chili cook-offs continue, by the way. My name's Mike, and I've been the pastor here for about 10 years. But I would like to be known today mostly as Bill's friend. I loved Bill. I loved Bill. And I'll maybe take that moment, this moment, to say for us as men, we often have a hard time looking a man in the eyes and saying, I love you particularly in the confused culture in which we live. But the confused culture in which we live should not keep us from looking brothers in the eyes and saying, I love you. I love Bill Wharton. He was devoted to doing what is good. One evidence of that devotion is his faithfulness to this church family. A second evidence of his devotion is his, it's already been mentioned, so I'm going to be brief, his devotion to his wife and to his girls. I mean, you could not talk to Bill for more than 10 seconds before he is talking about you you girls and your accomplishments, the things that you've done, the things that he aspires for you. Cindy, he loved you. He was an example to us as husbands on how to be devoted to our wives. And Cindy, I have to say, you've also been an example. A few weeks ago, a month or two ago, I don't know how long it was ago, I lose track of sequence. This is off the script here, but a month or so ago, I'm going down to see Cindy who was more or less living in ICUs and hospitals. And I go to uh, get her. She comes out of the hospital to have lunch. It was a Sunday and we went to get some Mexican food and uh, Cindy had no idea what day it was because every day had been the same for Cindy for a long time, being at Bill's side and advocating for him. You're a great example, Cindy. Bill was devoted to Christ. It's seen in his devotion to this church family. He was devoted to his wife and to his daughters. And Bill was devoted to his work. He was the Mandarin guy. I mean, I didn't know his work earlier than that, but Bill was a man devoted to work. And I went to the shed all the time. And I often got mandarins when Bill wasn't there but I actually often didn't want to. This is before you were there, Jamie. (laughs) I wanted to come back when he was there, when the other nice gentleman was there. I just wanted to see Bill. He was devoted to satisfying work. He was his whole life. I didn't get to see most of his career or his work, but I got to see his satisfying work in the Mandarin Shed. And then finally, you already know this. Bill Wharton was devoted to having fun. And one of the very first things I did with Bill was, was this hike. In fact, I think we had just moved from Cool um, to here. So I'm on the other side of this camera here. Gary and Ron Wood and Lloyd Upton were on this hike at Horsetail Falls. And we took, I took this picture of him as well that we Jake and I put up here just at the beginning of the uh, service here. You got that other picture Jake. Bill was devoted to having fun, and many of us are here today because we had fun with him in a whole variety of settings. I'll finish so we can stand and sing in a moment, but one last thing I would want to say on behalf of Bill. He didn't tell me to say this, but Bill would want me to say to you that he wants to see you again. And he would want this occasion to be a time for you to reflect on things that are invisible, on the spiritual realm, on the eternal realm, and to be with him in the new heavens, in the new earth. Those of us who share in Bill's Lord, We're going to stand now. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. It is well. We are here to weep with those who weep, but we are here to rejoice with those who rejoice. And it is well with our souls because we know Jesus. Let's sing. Those of you that know Jesus, I'm asking you to raise your voices, not to Bill, but to our Lord. And Bill will be happy with that. Thank you.
2: Hallelujah, bye, bye. I'll fly.
0: Uh, our time, but just a couple logistics again before uh, we're done. Reminder, if you didn't um, honor the family by signing the cards on the the table right as you came in the foyer, uh, please do that on your way out. Um, There are a lot of folks here, so not everyone is probably going to be able to come and hug you. So, like, group hug right now um, to these ladies. But really what I want to say, especially for those of you that may not get to them today, to get to them in the next six months, to take them uh, to Taco Tree, to Old Town Pizza, to your home. I'm being serious. I want to see some hands. Who's going to commit to doing that in the next six months? I'm serious. So love on them beyond today and take them out. Second Corinthians, uh, well, well, before we get to the benediction and prayer, one more logistics. So we have food and, and stuff, and I don't know where the Old Town Pizza is, but I'm hoping to get some. That, the other food and drinks are over here. There's water in the foyer. Some of the cornerstone uh, elders or deacons are going to take up a few of the row of chairs over here. So give them a couple minutes, just the back two or three back rows of the chairs here, and then there'll be enough space to actually get at the um, refreshments. So I think that's all the logistics. Those of you that can stay, that's going to bless the family. Those of you that need to go um, see them in the next six months with an invitation to your home. All right, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We watched Bill Wharton waste away outwardly. Simultaneously, inwardly, he was being renewed. And he went through quite a few cycles of that renewal. And we thought, yeah, he's coming home and he's going to be with us a long time. And then he went back and and he went through that. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's where Bill is headed. That's where Bill is in that eternal glory. That's where we are headed. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. All of this is temporary. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Bill will be there. And I will be there. And he wants you to be there. And I know many, many, Lord willing, all of you will be there. Let's pray. We'll finish our time together and enjoy refreshments and continue to share stories about Bill. Father, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you for the impression that Bill has made on so many. We thank you for him. We pray today we would be inspired to be devoted to things that are good as Bill was. And we pray now, especially for Cindy and Jamie and Cassie. We pray that you would be close to them, God. We pray that they're Their tears would diminish and their laughter and joys of remembrance of husband and dad would increase. Help us to love them these coming weeks and months. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.